welcome to the latest edition of City Parents Talk. I'm Anna Richards and today I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Addis. She's a virtual assistant at PwC, a mum to six-year-old Cadell and 16-month-old Nia. Cadell and Nia are biological brother and sister and Rachel and her husband have adopted them. Shortly after Nia arrived, Rachel took adoption leave at very short notice from a relatively new role and has recently returned to it. She's kind enough to tell us about her experience of adoption today. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. What a wonderful story you have to tell. Please, can we start at the beginning and tell us a bit about why you decided to consider adoption, leading you to first bring Cadell into your lives? Thank you, Anna, and it's nice to be here. Absolutely. I think I'm someone that's never really been maternal in my life, so I've never craved having children. It wasn't in the big plan of the life plans. And certainly early on in my life, I became um, very ill with renal failure and had a transplant. And that then confirmed that I wasn't able to have children because of transplantation in that age hadn't moved on as much as it has now. So I think all my life I've been quite career driven, focused on work and really focused on, you know, the next holiday, not really gooing over children or babies alike. So it was quite a surprise to me. And I think the key turning point was when my mum unfortunately passed away. And quite selfishly, I think, looking back, I just wondered who on earth would be there for me if I became ill or if suddenly I passed away, there would be no one to pass on those those special wisdoms and the things that you have in your life, you know, the, the nice things that you have in your life. You wouldn't be able to pass those down. So we came to a point where my husband and I had never really discussed having children. When we got together years and years ago, we were just friends, inverted commas, and we were friends for a long time. And then he surprised me one year and proposed, took me off to Edinburgh for Christmas and proposed to me. And unfortunately, I had to sit there and say that I couldn't possibly marry him because I didn't know whether he knew that I couldn't have children. And I felt that that was quite a key thing that he needed to know going forward. So at the time, it doesn't matter. It's absolutely fine. I just want to, I just want us to be husband and wife. I'd want to get married. And yes, again, I said no, because, you know, you're proposing to me and we're just 30 and I know it doesn't make a lot of difference now, but probably when you hit 40 that you'll probably regret this. And I love you too much to watch you do this. And I'd rather you go off and have children, biological children somewhere else, you know. So in the end, after, you know, 10 years of proposals, he <laughs> got me and I finally agreed and said, yes, love him. And we then got to a stage in our lives, which was 40 actually, when we both thought, well, we need to look at this again. I'd lost my mum and I just thought that was the right time. I started to get a bit of a feeling for children and had got a niece. I'd become quite protective and maternal over her. So we sat down and we decided on a plan. And that started with quite a lot of counselling with my transplant clinic. And they suggested that we started at IVF. So we were lucky enough to have funded IVF, three rounds of IVF due to my transplant. Unfortunately, the first two attempts 
didn't happen. They were unsuccessful and I wasn't producing any eggs at all. And then the final attempt, I became so ill that my husband actually just said, stop, we're not doing this. We're absolutely not doing this. I can't watch you get this ill over this. This is silly. And I think at that point, we both agreed that this was not the way. And then after we'd had a nice big holiday in France for me to recover, we did a lot of surfing, a lot of sitting in the sun, just building up my energy again. We came up with the idea that if we really wanted to have a child, that adoption would be the only route for that, having ruled out various other routes because of my transplant. So, so that's how we came to it. And I think neither of us really knew or understood what adoption was or meant and how, how you went about it. So we had a starting point of just doing the normal thing of Googling adoption in the area and realised that our local agency through the council were running some information evenings on adoption. So we signed up for an information evening and went along and there was probably about 20, 20 or so people in the room. And it was fantastic. They had prospective adopters there. They had people that adopted all different sorts of children. And we were able to talk quite openly about the process, what it involved, how long it was, and find out all those key bits of information, really, that we needed to know to make an informed decision. Sounds like an interesting session. Can you talk us through some of those, Rachel? What is the process like? How long was it for you? And, and what sort of scrutiny are applicants subject to? Certainly. And I think um, the process itself is quite straightforward. It's a timelined process. It was very much quicker than we expected. So we were told that the process of training and um, liaising with the social workers would be six to seven months for us to be able to be ready to be put in front of what they call an adoption panel, which is where you get approved to be adopted parents. So actual process itself was straightforward, but it was incredibly invasive and incredibly difficult, much more than we thought and, and in a very negative way. So I think people have to be prepared for that. And I liken it to almost having a survey done on your house. When you go to buy a house and you have a surveyor in, legally, they have to tell you all the things that could go wrong or could happen, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they will happen. And it's, it's exactly like that. So when you go into adoption, the process of the training, you get to do quite a lot of role play scenarios. And some of those scenarios are obviously quite difficult to deal with because a lot of the children, there is a reason why they have come into adoption and into the care system. And those reasons are not always nice. So it was quite difficult, but actually there is massive support from your social worker. You get assigned a social worker and they come and almost stay in your house, you know, two evenings a week, two days a week learn all about you as a couple, learn all about your family background. And ours was quite a difficult story because we've had a lot of bereavement, a lot of serious illnesses. So it wasn't a very straightforward, happy one. So there was a lot of detail there. And then the social worker gets to understand you um, as a person, you as a couple. 
and they're able to guide you through. And in fact, so supportive that I think three months into the training, I was still working in a, in a large corporate and I was head of events. So I was traveling globally. And then when I returned, was trying to fit in all of the training around adoption and it just got too much. I got exhausted. So my social worker actually said, we can just put the brakes on a bit. We can take a pause. So I did, we stopped the training for two months, just to breathe, just to assess and just to understand everything that we'd learned. And then after those two months, we went back to it and started again. And it was fantastic. It just meant that we had a bit of headspace and we were able to, to deal with it in a much better way. So, and the social worker was brilliant and she supported us through that. So that's one of the things that I think was great. It's fantastic. It's one of those things that, you know, when you're in it, you're caught up in the emotion of that journey. And I think, you know, we were very much, when we started this journey, we wanted a child. That was all we wanted to, you know, to have a child. And that's why we did it very quickly into the journey. We understood that actually, do you know what? We just want to be able to help these children. These children have had some of the worst starts in life and it's only fair that they're able to have a chance of a, a stable, happy, secure life. And we went from wanting a child to then wanting to help those children more. So there was a very big switch. Interesting. So it started about what you were looking for and then became about what they needed, I suppose. Mm. And, and you mentioned that that training process led to you facing an adoption panel. So the social workers are looking at you as a couple and what you could bring to adoption, how you can help and support these children. So when we get to the end of the six months, the social worker will make a decision on whether you're ready. Um, and when I say ready, whether you finished, completed the training and you know, you're happy to proceed. And then you get put in front of a panel and the panel is made up of 12 to 13 local people around local dignitaries, also adoptive parents, social workers, medical advisors. So it's quite a big panel, but your social worker attends with you. So she sits with you at one side around the table and she's there to support you. And all of the, the questions that come are almost common sense questions, but they just have a very big report that the social worker has done with you and you get to see that report. So about your life, about your background, about everything. The panel basically have picked out key points from that report that they would just like to ask you about and probably just get your side of and your view and things on why you've come to adoption and why you'd like to adopt a child. And you get to know instantly after the panel of whether you're approved. And it's very rare that you're not approved because the social worker would not put you forward unless she thought you were ready. So it's mm -hmm. still very much a joint decision. Interesting. Sounds intense and rigorous as, <laughs> as it should rightly be, I'm sure. And, and that led to Cadell coming into your lives? Six years ago. So after the panel is finished, that's when the social worker will then start the matching process. She looks at your background and how your personality is, and she tries to match you with, with the children. And that's quite a difficult thing to do. 
you know, all of the children that are in the care system need a mother or a father or a carer or both. We got given a brown envelope through the door one day that said, very urgent, I think this could be it. And in that brown envelope was a profile. So there's no picture of the child. It's just a written profile of the child because they don't want you to have that emotional attachment straight away. And there were just some key things with Cadell that were very spooky. So the, the profile, he had the same birthday as me. He was a redhead, he was a ginger, and we have a lot of redheads in our family. And he was Welsh and we're Welsh. So there was a key draw there. And we said that we'd like to go ahead. So he was nine months old. And then the process starts then almost again, you have to go to another panel of the same people. And this time they look at you as a parent to this particular child. So they're looking at all the comparative ways in which you and the child will match and whether it's the best home for that child to be in. And so we got approved for that. That was very quick. And then the social worker comes to speak to you about the timeline then from that date until you actually receive your, your child. So we received Cadell, which was 10 days. So it's quite a quick process. So it's not a nine months, you know, getting used to the fact that something is coming into your life. It's a very much a, 10 days of probably panic for me of I have nothing in this house for a baby <laughs> I have nothing ready so it's quite a shock and then 10 days later we met him for the first time gives me goosebumps thinking about that and the the brown envelope gosh absolutely amazing and you obviously had lots of practicalities to prepare for as you say I'm sure the emotional side needed to catch up as well yes it was one of the things that we hadn't really thought about with adoption because we were both very much and especially my husband was oh are we going to bond with him how will we feel just meeting this child for the first time will this child come to us will he just be quite oh I don't know who these people are and and there's a lot of emotion in that and that when we met him for the first time I remember he was quite a large baby I mean thank goodness I didn't give birth to him he was nearly 13 pounds so um he came crawling towards us and just came and sat, sat up on my lap straight away and just looked into my eyes and just leant into me. And from that moment, I knew that I would love this child unconditionally. And yes, and I don't think we'd really factored in anything around the emotional side of then, like any parent, stopping work, going on maternity leave or adoption leave in this case, you know, all of the issues that brings as a new as a new family as new parents absolutely a lot a lot to prepare for and get your head around i'm sure and then of course fast forward five years and you had the call about nia cadell's biological sister when you were quite new to your role at pwc how did that play out particularly considering your relatively new employer so I think, you know, just to, to back up slightly, I think with Cadell, I was with a, another corporate, another big corporate and didn't have the best of journeys as becoming a mum with that. And it was quite difficult. But this time I'd started a new position at PwC and we had the call about Nia from our social worker when we came home one evening and 
it was a big surprise. It was nothing that we were planning. We were happy with one child. We didn't expect to have another one. In adoption, they normally happen quite quickly. If there is going to be a biological sibling, it's normally within two years. So we were quite happy and had thrown away all the baby stuff, given it away. So we had nothing here. <laughs> And we had basically 12 to 24 hours to decide whether we wanted to have Nia. And for us, it was a no-brainer. I think, you know, I wanted to keep the biological siblings together, even though my husband and I were older and we probably didn't feel we were young enough to cope with a baby again. We actually knew that, you know, even when we're gone later on in life, that those two having been brought up together would be there to support each other. And it was quite an emotional discussion over the course of 12 hours. And then obviously I started to panic about work because I'd had this, you know, not very nice experience before. I literally had joined PwC in the September and this was mid-November. So I hadn't really been with PwC very long at all. And I didn't know my, my manager that well and my team manager that well. I didn't know the team that well. So I didn't really know how to broach this. Normally, if you've got to know someone, you'd know where their emotional points were. I knew that not many people had children. So I was a bit, oh, I don't know how this is going to go, this conversation and didn't know how they were going to take it at all. And really, and truthfully, had resigned myself to the fact that I wasn't going to have a job. So I built myself up all night to go in the next day and, and booked a meeting with my manager. And I think from memory now, I think I walked into the room and spoke to my manager and she was telling me, you know, some really nice things that I've been doing, which was great. And I wasn't really listening because all I kept thinking about was how do I drop this into this conversation? And then she said, oh, is there anything you want to discuss? And I said, I, I've got something really difficult to discuss with you. And I think I burst into tears <laughs> because I was so emotional about it. And she was absolutely amazing. And she sat down, listened to what I had to say and said, well, that's a shock, but it's such an amazing shock that Rachel, she said, life happens and no one can plan these things. And sometimes we all have to drop everything to deal with something that's so amazing in our lives. So she said, look, go away because I can tell it's not even registered with you yet that you are going to be a mum again. So she said, go away, take some time, it will be okay. And that's all she had to say to me. And it was just the, the loveliest conversation that I could have had with her. And I went home that night and just let it all sink in. And then the next day we booked in a meeting and we went through the plan of what was going to happen. And I mean, obviously, I hadn't told her at that point that it was going to be a week's notice. So we only had seven days to come up with a plan of me leaving. And, you know, I obviously had stakeholders I was looking after of what was going to happen to them. But it was fantastic. The team stepped up. They all supported my stakeholders while I was off on adoption leave. And it was brilliant. I knew that I was going to have a role to come back to. And that was something that was very important to me. Obviously, at that stage, I didn't know that the COVID pandemic was going to happen. So that was something that got thrown in unexpectedly. 
Absolutely. Sure has, hasn't it? And, you know, it's so wonderful to hear about that reaction from your employers and not something that she could plan either. As you said, it would be a shock, but what a wonderful reaction. If there were listeners listening to our conversation today who are considering broaching that conversation with their line manager or employer, what advice would you give to them having had two quite different conversations how would you advise them to go into that conversation and and broach it or or maybe what would you advise to the employer that might be on the receiving end perhaps I think it's it's a tough one because adoption is so different I liken it to if you were um, a heterosexual couple you know planning on having children you wouldn't come into the office and say oh tonight we're going to go and make a baby it's not something that you would absolutely talk openly about. And, and the adoption is a very private thing and it's quite difficult to be quite open about it. But I think what I've learned is, you know, the, the stress and anxiety that that can cause keeping it to yourself and not talking to someone about it. I think you have to be open from the start and sit with your line manager and say, look, this is something that we are thinking about. And I'm going to be open with you and let you know that we're going to go through this process. And we don't know what the end result of this process is going to be, but I will keep you updated along the way. And as long as we can be open and honest with each other and communicate, I think that would be the biggest thing. Very sound advice. Thank you for that. And I know that you've mentioned in the past about your role at PwC being very flexible. It's a topic that we look at frequently at City Parents, helping parents to manage their professional careers with their home lives. It'd be lovely to hear a little bit about your role. How does it actually work on a daily basis, Rachel, and how does it help you to balance your, your busy home life as well? This this role is amazing and I came to it quite unexpectedly. I came out of the events world into a PA role that I've never experienced before, but it had the same skill set. And this virtual assistant is based at home. So you're already based at home. And pre-COVID, we would go into the office once every two weeks for the team meetings and see the rest of the team. So you still have that continuity. But also it allows me to flex my hours to suit my home life. So, for instance, I can now walk Cadell to school and near to nursery in the morning without that time pressure of being somewhere at nine o'clock on the dot. If, for instance, I want to at lunchtime or sometime during the day take advantage of a, a yoga class some exercise, especially now COVID is here, It allows me to take some time away from my desk without having to okay it with anyone. So as long as we are open with each other as a team and our stakeholders, then we can have some time to flex. And also it allows me to pick up Cadell from school at three o'clock and then near from nursery. And it allows me that time when they come home to spend some quality time with them, play with them, cook their tea, 
and not just shove them in front of the television, although sometimes that might happen. And then what I do then is pick up on my work after they've gone to bed. So it suits me then at, at seven o'clock after bedtime. If I've got some things that are outstanding from that day, then I can sign on later without having to worry about the children and just get my work done. So I, I can do some great flex throughout a day. Fantastic. Sounds like it would suit lots of parents and non-parents mm. extremely well. So that's great to hear. You talked about that flexibility and I'm sure that's helped you to readjust to working life. But how's it been getting back? I think it's, it's been a couple of months now. How have you gone about mm. reintegrating yourself into the working world, anything that our listeners might be able to learn from you? I think for me, I knew straight away that I wasn't going to be a very motherly mother. So I wasn't going to be baking cakes every day and things. So for me, coming back to work was important. And I have come back now, my, my line managers have been amazing. So we started off coming back with what we call a soft start. So I didn't have any of my stakeholders for the first week so that I could just get back and get used to being at a desk, at my laptop, at my computer, you know, getting back into any of the changes that have happened during COVID, especially with the company, any processes that have changed. Also taking the time to maybe do some personal development, looking at some training before I start. So it just allows me that great great time without the pressure of clients to just get back into a routine with my children and find out what fits and what works best. And then after a week, then obviously my stakeholders have come on board and they've all been with me on this journey. So they were all excited to have me back, which has been lovely. And we have regular Google Meets. I always feel part of the team. We have regular catch-ups. We have, you know, cake and a coffee on a Friday morning, just chatting about some great things that we've seen on Netflix or some of the latest things that have come out at PwC. And they've been really inclusive. And even during COVID, when I was off on adoption leave, there was always a regular check-in to make sure that I didn't need anything because they all knew I was there looking after a new baby you know, locked down because of my transplant, I was classed as extremely vulnerable. So they all wanted to make sure that I was okay. And that in itself was, was amazing just to have that little bit of contact throughout adoption leave to ensure that I was ready to come back and that, you know, everyone was welcoming was brilliant. I completely agree that staying in touch when you're away is incredibly important. What a what fantastic experience you've had. And I suppose finally, Rachel, for anyone listening to this podcast that's thinking about adoption, wondering about it, maybe they're quite close to making the decision, or perhaps it's just something in the back of their mind, what advice would you give to somebody thinking about embarking on a similar journey that you've undertaken? I think the key thing is don't be put off. There's still an awful lot of stigma surrounding adoption. And I think for, for us now and for several parents that I've spoken to that have recently gone through it, they wish they'd done it sooner. They wish that they hadn't been or listened to some of the negativity around adoption. And, you know, we've all had something in our lives that's quite difficult. We've all had difficult journeys, some more than others. 
but these children have had an awful start in life and I think of my life now and can't think of my life without Cadella near in it and just seeing the happiness that they have being in a stable home and just doing some normal child things is amazing and I would just encourage people to think about how many children there are out there without any parents or without any carers and if you can provide stability and love then it's a really good way to go and on a positive just personally for me I haven't had to give birth and I equally love that that's something I don't miss <laughs> about having children I hear lots of stories about the birth process and definitely something for me was no that's fine I can leave that alone thank you <laughs> what a fantastic note to finish on Rachel thank you so much it's been wonderful hearing your journey what a special time it's been with two little people in your lives we're very lucky to be with you so thank you so much for sharing it we really appreciate it and I'm sure our listeners will as well and will love listening to this podcast and thank you to our listeners for joining us if you'd like to hear more about City Parents please do visit us at cityparents.co.uk you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook and you can stay tuned for more from City Parents Talk coming soon. Goodbye. <laughs>